Welcome to the Faith Element Podcast for April 10, 2022, focusing on Philippians 2, 1 through 13, working it out. I'm Nikki Hardiman. I'm David Adams. And I'm Bert Montgomery. It is good to have David Adams back with us again for the second week in a row. Yeah, um, and David. as you can see, um, we are we are without our leader once again. So, um, David Cassidy, um, we hope you are having a wonderful time, um, getting some rest and restoration, visiting family, um, and so glad that you trust us with this. I'm not sure your trust is well-placed. But um, anyway, uh, so today we are back in the book of Philippians, uh, and the passage is an old Christian hymn, one of the first Christian hymns. So for our opening question today, I want to know, what is your favorite Christian hymn? I'm going to go with old Christian hymns because I'm at a church that's trying to do new Christian hymns, which is different. Fair. I have an old Christian hymn. This is weird and unexpected, but it's one that sticks with me. It's one that I always have played at funerals. It's a funeral song. It's, Oh, love that will not let me go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know, because when I'm, honestly, when I'm praying at night and getting ready for bed, because I have to do this before I can even sleep at night, one of the things I always thank God for is a love that never lets me go. Mm. Yeah, and, and it's just the words of the song keep coming back to me because of that. I have two, uh, one for deep meaning and one for sentimental reasons. The old, old one uh, that I remember as a child that I still love to hear sung today is Bringing in the Sheaves. Mm -hmm. Now, I grew up in New Orleans. I'd never worked a day of life on the farm. So I had no idea what sheaves were when I was a kid, but my grandparents sure did. And I loved visiting my grandparents' church and hearing all the old women's, all the old women's, all the old women sing the high part and, you know, got this bringing mm -hmm. in the sheaves. Bring, it was beautiful. I loved it. Mm -hmm. I still love to hear it sing, sung, but, you know, it's one of those things that it, relevance doesn't mean much to us anymore unless you know the context. Sure. But for me personally, over the last 25 years, um, it's been um, come thou fount of every blessing mm -hmm. um, that continues, continues to be very meaningful to me. Uh, but always that line of prone to wonder, prone to wander, excuse me, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Um, that, that seems to be my... <laughs> <laughs> my mode of operation. So uh, that means a lot to me. Um, well, Bert, I would have had two and Come Thou Fount would have been on my list as well. Um, it is just, it's such a powerful hymn. But my other one, um, for both meaning and sentimental reasons, is I love to tell the story. Mm. Um, and my favorite part is the third hymn, is the third verse. And it says, I love to tell the story for those who know it best, seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. Mm -hmm. And I, I think probably that's what I have part of what my calling feels like is to retell the story to um, those people who continue to hunger um, for the good news that it brings. So, um, so Bert, can you get us started on this Christian hymn passage today? 
Yes, I can. And I, I need to admit right at the start that I have a love-hate relationship with this text from Philippians, which interestingly enough corresponds directly with a love-hate relationship with the Apostle Paul. It's complicated. Now, as someone who has always been a bit of a nonconformist, I mean, that prone to wander that I mentioned, that's been with me my whole entire life. I have often had this passage and others like it from Paul's letters have these things thrown at me to get me to fall in line, get with the program, don't rock the boat, etc., etc., etc. When I was just a young boy in the 1970s, I tried to convince my father not to make me get a haircut. I wanted to grow my hair out like all the hippies. I was taught that Paul exhorts us to empty ourselves of our selfish desires because, well, good Baptists don't look like hippies. In other words, Paul was being used to enforce American middle-class conformity. When, as a teenager in the early 80s, I asked, why were some African-American children from the neighborhood suddenly stopped from coming to our church? I was told that I needed to trust the decisions of the larger church so that we would not be a divided church, but our hearts would be in one accord. Quick aside, the family that carried the church budget with their giving told the pastor and the deacons that either, quote, those colored children stop coming or they and their money will stop coming. In other words, Paul was being used to protect the racist status quo in the South. This is over 20 years since the big push of the civil rights movement. When I have been asked to stop talking about the full inclusion and affirmation of LGBTQ plus persons in our churches, I've been told several times that I am the one creating disharmony, disrupting the unity of the church, even thwarting the work of the gospel in our town. (laughs) thwarting. That's a fun word to say it. Thwarting. It's not a word I often use, but apparently it's something I'm prone to do as a, to Christ's mission. (sighs) In other words, Paul was being used to override the grace of Christ. When I was a student at a Baptist college, and after that, a large prestigious and historic seminary, Paul's letters, including this passage from Philippians, were often used like a jackhammer to pound professors, administrators, pastors, and church laity into doctrinal submission for the sake of Christian unity, to keep our denomination in one full accord of one mind which we were told if we were to be humble enough to listen to the authoritative male voices telling us these things, we would be able to recognize in them the mind of Christ. (sighs) So that's the hate side of my relationship. Thank you for letting me vent. But like I said, I also have a love relationship with this text, which again, as I said at the beginning, also corresponds to a general and growing love of Paul. The church I pastor currently has signs posted, and we've shared memes throughout the pandemic uh, that had properly masked cartoon drawings of people with verse 4 of this chapter printed on it. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. It was a reminder that in our culture in this moment in which so many people are critical of being forced to wear masks— We are choosing out of Christian love to do it out of concern for the well-being of each other, 
especially the immunocompromised and the most risk at among us, we can put away our selfish desires of not wearing a mask for a little while, couldn't we? In the religious culture that is dominated by Christian language and images, uh, Christianese, Steve Taylor once called it, where we show up and we show out with huge, well-lit crosses along major highways, reciting scripture verses to justify the horrific conditions of immigrants or to justify the oppression and violence of women and other minority groups. It's odd to read this text aloud and hear, look not to your own interests, when it's being thrown out to tell the oppressed people to stop being concerned for their well-being and just shut up and let us live our lives the way we're comfortable living with them, despite your discomfort and oppression, right? It's, it's odd to hear this being voiced by those in power who are only concerned for their political and economic selfish ambition. <laughs> you see, the, the rebel in me loves this stuff. Justice is based in the language of this text. Fannie Lou Hamer, Martin Luther King Jr., Lucretia Mott, Oscar Romero. These are examples of having the interests of others at heart. These are examples of living out from the mind of Christ in their heart. Christ himself. This is an example of Christ himself to whom Paul continually points us. It's almost as if we're hearing this coming from the mouths of the privileged who, who hold power and influence. When we, if we hear it from them, we should be questioning, are we united in the mind of Christ or are we united in the mind of those in power? As, noted, as we noted in last week's podcast, Paul changes. Paul grows. Paul evolves. Paul moves. And Paul is constantly growing and changing, evolving and moving from the letter of the law into the spirit of the law. Paul is constantly growing beyond the letter of the law into the spirit of Christ. And he keeps growing until his death. He never has it all figured out. And Paul himself keeps reminding us of that fact, which leads me to verse 12, because Paul is an excellent example of this, working out his salvation with fear and trembling. If we're leaving behind the rules and regulations so that we can be more loving and more inclusive of more and more people, it can be scary. We will lose friends we will be accused of causing disharmony, threatening the unity of our family, threatening the unity of the church. But unity around dysfunction is not the same as unity in Christ. Being one in, in one accord for the protection of a few does not mean that we are in one accord with all in the love of Christ. Being in one accord, being of one mind, having the mind of Christ may cause us serious fear and trembling on the one hand, as it leads us to challenge our assumptions and privilege and untangle our previous understandings as we join with the outsiders around us, as Christ himself did. And then we will know 
that God is at work in us, enabling us to will and to work for God's good pleasure. It's an interesting interpretation of this particular passage. And I have to admit, I got hung up on just one concept that I think about a lot. The way you put it, I can't phrase it exactly, but as you put it that way, at that passage how it's been used suppressed, I couldn't help but think about those people who are saying, don't teach people about the true history of this country, about how minorities have been treated, about how the natives who lived here have been treated. Don't teach about those things because then you'd be threatening our unity and dividing us because we were all told that there are not supposed to be any divisions and here you are introducing some. So it's, you're being a racist when you do that. It sounds like they're using that, like you're describing, they're using that same passage, that same mindset to tell us that we can't make progress. We can't ever fix a problem that we know exists. We are enforcing dysfunction because of this. I think the two go hand in hand. I mean, that's what we're struggling with is truth. And the mind of Christ is not the mind of oppression. And that's the history that we're trying to protect. And, you know, the the disharmony is is caused by <laughs> the disharmony and and violence is caused by the ones in power. I mean, I remember hearing this text used against Clarence Jordan, a pacifist, wow. a Christian pacifist who started an interracial commune called Koinonia Farms, which exists to this day. It was the birthplace of Habitat for Humanity, and. During the time of civil rights. Now, he started it before the civil rights movement, and it was a separate thing than the civil rights movement. He wasn't about getting in the streets and protesting. Um, they were just having their, we all live together as one people, regardless of race, and we share our belongings together. But during the civil rights movement, especially after the segregation of or the uh, 1954, end of segregation, according to the Supreme Court, which with all deliberate speed is how we're supposed to do things in the South, which meant it's going to take us at least 20 years to be forced to integrate our schools, including in Georgia. They began targeting the white supremacist groups and the good, white, polite, Protestant groups in Georgia began targeting Koinonia Farms. And they were blowing things up. They were blowing up businesses in town on Main Street that were doing business with Koinonia Farms. And they had this meeting, and it's recorded. You can listen to it. When all these good deacons and all these good pastors and all these good Sunday school teachers who ran the businesses on Main Street told Clarence Jordan that his little community is causing so much violence and so much destruction and bringing so much disharmony for the community, they would like to see him leave. Uh, and it's their understanding of the gospel that Jesus wants to be wants us to be as brothers and live in peace and in harmony and in unity. Clarence Jordan says, "Well, we're not the ones blowing things up, <laughs> right?" So by pleading for unity, what you're pleading for is don't call our attention to the things that we're benefiting from. Is that not self-interest and selfish ambition? I mean, this is a revolutionary political t text. Yeah, and what's interesting in it is the interpretation that you described in your really great interpretation of this passage. That interpretation is directly counter to the teachings of Jesus. You know, the whole thing about give in, let the people lead because that will keep us in unity. Well, Jesus said, I didn't come to bring you peace but the sword. And that's exactly. what he was talking about at the time. Mm -hmm. Exactly. See, I came to make you rile things up. And I made... You know, I want you to shake things up. I want this controversy. This is what you should be doing is asking these questions. And people can just toss it out the window because they, oh, I found this little text I can use as a 
Because hammer. Paul says, and Paul yeah. always overrides Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and if you're really paying attention, Paul is willing to make room for Jesus and acknowledge that Paul does not override Jesus. But the people who would use Paul yes. are not. Right. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Right. But, and Jesus's life did not end peacefully. I mean, no. he caused so much disruption, they killed him. And Paul was not causing a lot of unity. I mean, Paul was causing a lot of <laughs> discomfort and a lot of disruption right. and getting in a lot of trouble. So maybe this whole idea of being in unity has nothing to do with, as Paul is looking at it, maybe it has nothing to do with what we think of it as, let's just not rock the boat. No, I think he was big because, as we mentioned last week, he was encouraging people to follow his example of continuing to move. Yes. And he was more referring to that kind of unity of, hey, we're all doing this together. Yeah. But that gets dropped easily. Yeah, I think a lot of times we – I think it's, we can equate the idea of unity with peace. Like I think when we think about unity, we imagine that there is some level of peace, but there's a difference between – peacemaking and peacekeeping and peacekeeping is more akin to this. Don't rock the boat. Don't say anything that upsets people or changes the status quo, but peacemaking sometimes means that you have to go through some disunity or some uncomfortableness in order to get to a place of peace in Christ. And it's, Telling that this week, I mean, we're recording this earlier, but this week that recording for is Palm Sunday. I mean, mm -hmm. it's the Sunday where you celebrate that Jesus rode into a town. And we know when he rode into town, he did not ride into town to make things peaceful. In no, fact, there's going to be a whole not. thing with a whip in the temple coming up this week. That's, that's right. That's not peaceful at all. No. You know, this is the point Jesus is making. He is going to stir things up. He's going to make a change. And while they're cheering for him as he rides into town, you know, they should know this is the beginning of some real not peacemaking that he's going to do. And, right. and I, was, I was actually asked, somebody asked me the other day, well, why was Jesus crucified? I mean, I mean not theologically, but just why, why did they legally, why were they able to do this? I had to point out that in Roman law, pretty much the worst offense you could commit was disturbing the peace. Because they pride themselves on making peace wherever they go and having a Roman-style peace. And Jesus disturbed the peace. Mm -hmm. and, and that gave them the legal grounds to crucify him because he disturbed the peace. But as he was telling them the whole time, disturbing the peace is what you're here to do. Yeah. I, I think what I hear us saying, and we say this a lot, and maybe that's, of course, Jesus repeated himself, the apostles, all the um Prophets always repeated themselves. Paul repeated himself. So maybe this is okay that we're repeating ourselves. But in, in, in being a Christian or following in the way of Christ, especially on this, this week of Palm Sunday, leading us into Holy Week and the incredible, what's the word I'm looking for, topsy-turvy way of him being welcomed as a king on one Sunday and by Friday executed as a, as a criminal and a threat to the Roman Empire on Friday. So it's with all of this kind of stuff, we have to wonder again, and, and we have to be careful not to let the voice of Paul be co-opted as it has been 
um, by the voice of power and the letters of Paul about unity and about about peace and and Paul being used to conform because Paul himself was <laughs> got in a lot of trouble. But we have to be careful because we do often see religion being set up as a religion of Paul. And we say this all the time. One of the most best ways to discount anything Jesus said and did is, oh, well, look, Paul says, because Paul, we get all of our certainty and theological mm-hmm. truth from Paul. Right. Paul. Well, Paul is always saying, no, 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 maybe I'm not. And if we're honest about that, when we talk about unity, when we talk about being in the mind of Christ, and we talk about following in the examples of the Gospels, of who Christ is, what Christ taught, all this stuff, the question about unity would be, who are we united with? Are we being united with the power structures? Or are we being united with those who are without power? And Jesus very clearly felt in unity with those without the power, religious power, economic power, political power, and always got in trouble with the ones who were like, hey, you know, Jesus, you're a good rabbi. Uh, I know you know the scriptures. You're a good teacher. Don't rock the boat, right? He's getting in trouble with the ones who were protective of their power. Mm-hmm. And so when we hear this unity, call for unity, the question is, when we look at Martin Luther King Jr., when we look at Lucretia Mott, when we look at Oscar Romero, where are they seeking the heart of Christ? And then who do they find, in whom do they find unity with? They find unity with those outside the power. It's the same dynamic. So if we think about unity as who are we aligning ourselves with? And if we have privilege, who are we levering, leveraging our privilege on behalf of rather than ourselves? Or those like us, are we using our privilege to help those without any leverage, without any privilege? I think that's that's important. Well, I'm, I'm still taken. I hate to go through this passage by Paul and not talk about how it ends. Because Talk about how it ends, David. Because we talk about how it ends. I mean, there's a lot to put there, a lot that would terrify people who are status quo thinkers. Because Paul's saying what we need to be together in doing is working out our salvation. He says with fear and trembling, work out your salvation because God's working in you to enable these things. So again, like as we talked about last week, faith is not a peculiar thing. You don't obtain something. You're supposed to be working it out. And sometimes when you're working things out, they don't go the way the established authorities want you to go. If you're working this out on your own, you're going to come up with different answers from what the authorities want you to do because you're inviting innovation. You're inviting imagination. You're inviting true relationship as opposed to just filling in the blanks. And that is very much not conformist thinking. Mm-hmm. And and to follow Christ is to always challenge when anybody says, I've got my mind, I, I know what God wants. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Because if it's not done in love, loving God and loving others, whenever you put yes, but behind all that. Or here's what Paul means. Here's what Paul tells us Jesus means by loving others, right? All that kind of stuff, then we're not living under the law of love, which is the law of Christ. And I do like that he, he prefaces it with saying, with fear and trembling. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Don't just assume. Be afraid about it. You're, you're stepping out on thin ice, uncertain ground here. But that's the way it's supposed to be. I remember in in college having a religion professor tell us that probably everything we learned in Sunday school, let's just assume it's wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Was that David Adams? 
No, no, this was college. This was a, oh, this college, was a ball college, college, not so many. Um, and he, he could not teach there anymore these days. But, um, mm. but you know, when you do that, and if you say, okay, I make my, Christ my example, the letter of the spirit of Christ versus the letter of what I've always been taught the word means, then we're open to move and we're open to find and we're open to continually be pushed beyond our barriers. Even when we expand our barriers, we're going to be pushed behind them a little bit later. And barriers give us comfort, right? And that's where the fear and trembling comes in because behind the barriers is complete uncertainty. Right. I know I keep coming back to it, but to me, this is the Palm Sunday story too. When Jesus rode in the town, everybody in their own mind had fixed on exactly what he was there to do, right. what was going to happen. And he completely yanked the rug out from under them. Mm-hmm. I mean, and in this hymn, we've talked a little bit in here about how being unified, not with power, but with those who have no power. And in the hymn, Jesus gives up his power, all of the power in order to be with those who are lower. And that's what we see happen on Palm Sunday. He rides in on a donkey, right? Instead of a big horse, which, you know, the Roman king that was riding in on a horse that very same day, um, Jesus was mocking in a way, or maybe satirizing what was happening in the Roman government. We began this podcast um talking about favorite hymns and I do have a, a favorite another favorite hymn I didn't mention and it's one that has become sort of the theme hymn for the church I pastor at University Baptist Church in Starkville Mississippi and it deals with um, who are we in unity with it's called we are one in the spirit also called they'll know we are Christians by our love and we sing this at least once a month, sometimes every week, especially during Pride Week, is when we began to really adopt this as our own. A few years ago, when we had the first Pride Parade in Starkville, when we realized we were being, we were distinctly set apart from almost all the other churches in town because of our unity with the LGBTQ folk in town. So we sing, we are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord, and we pray that all unity may one day be restored, and they'll know we are Christians by our love. And I, I keep learning and finding new meaning in this every time we sing it. Mm-hmm. Not unity with a few, but all unity, including unity with those who disagree with us theologically and who disagree with us politically. One day we will be united as one because we all won in Christ. Doesn't Paul say somewhere else that Christ is all and in all? So there's that. And then there's this other verse that says, we will work with each other. We will work side by side. We will work with each other. We will work side by side. And we will guard each one's dignity and save each one's pride. And they will know we are Christians by our love. Paul might say, not the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law, or the spirit of Christ. The hymn writer says, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Thank you all for this good conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Subscribe to the Faith Element Podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Learn more about our Faith Element Bible Study curriculum at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.